Good morning. I am eager for us to benefit from God's word this morning. So from the outset, I welcome you to please open your copy of the Holy Scriptures to the book of Psalms. We'll be gleaning from Psalms chapter 62 this morning. Again, that's Psalm 62. As Micah just mentioned, we as a a church have concluded our expositional series through the book of Ecclesiastes this past Sunday. And before we jump into the Gospel of Mark, next Sunday the leadership team has given me this opportunity to preach this something of a a one-off sermon uh, in between series. Uh, Yet, at the same time, I assure you that this text was not just some random selection that I flipped open to. On the contrary, one of the primary reasons that we will be spending time this morning in this psalm is because we have come to often sing it together in the, as a body, as we just did uh, not 10, 15 minutes ago. I therefore believe that this text will serve us all to take time as we deeply dwell upon that which we sing in scriptural texts from which our songs come. And so with that being said, I welcome you, if you are able, to please stand for the reading of the inerrant, authoritative, holy word of God Almighty. This is Psalm 62. To the choir master, according to Jeduthun, a psalm of David. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock in my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him, like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehoods. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Selah. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath, and those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, and they are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. This is the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. Today, 
in the year of our Lord, 2023, we find ourselves living life in a place that can feel as though everything around us is collapsing. It feels as if we are in the midst of an ongoing earthquake that is only escalating in its severity. Institutions that were once looked upon as bulwarks of our society have become marred with corruption if they haven't collapsed entirely. Our political system is increasingly divided, uh, with each side seemingly viewing the other as monsters. Our school systems, at best, are fighting to maintain a basic morality if they haven't already caved on some of these issues. And we have seen many churches throughout our country continue to embrace theological liberalism with its rotting effect. And yet, here we stand, here in rubble and ruins of what were institutions that people felt like they could trust and that they could seek refuge from. But as we watch institution after institution fall to corruption and collapse, we may find ourselves throwing our hands up and asking, what can we actually trust in? This is the question that will be answered by our text today. Together, all of us here ought to be expectant to hear this answer and allow ourselves to be changed and impacted by it. And as we sit under God's word this morning, I hope that you are also eager to be formed and transformed by the truths of God's word today. Also in a slightly different order, today we will be walking through the points of our text and then conclude with our proposition. And with that being said, our first point from today's text is that God is a trustworthy refuge. God is a trustworthy refuge. The great theologian A.W. Tozer once said in his book, Knowledge of the Holy, that what comes into our minds when we think about God is that which is most important about us. What we think about God is the most important thing about us. After all, it, God is the absolute being in, that exists. That is to say, God does not need you or me. He doesn't need anything else for that matter to continue to exist as he always has and always will. But it is also just as true that you and me and everything else that does exist, exists only because God does. Our thoughts and our understanding of who God is, is the most important thing about you. But those thoughts about God and who he is will also be the greatest factor on how you live your life on a day in and day out basis. This reality should inform how we view and respond to the scriptures. This collection of 66 books that we possess is one of the most valuable treasures that you and I will ever experience or interact with in this life. For in them, God in his infinite wisdom chose to reveal himself. He chose to self-disclose of himself with a story, with a book. 
And one of the greatest purposes of this book is to convey the truth through, uh, is to convey the truth about who God is and that which he has done. This truth is given to us in multiple ways. It is given through narrative, uh, a story. It is also given to us through poetry and the use of word images. It is given through promises and prophecies. And as we will see today, God's revelation is given to his people through songs. All of God's revelation is supposed to move us to belief. But I believe that the Psalms are especially helpful to us in this regard. It is in this book, this collection of songs, that we see in full display mutable man. We see the ever-emotional psalmist who seems to be in the pit of despair at one moment in the valley of the death in the valley of death on one day, only to be on a glorious mountaintop of praise the next. But throughout all of these songs, there is one thing that never changes, and that is the trustworthy nature of Almighty God. The Psalms are a uniquely God-focused, God-centered, God-occupied part of Scripture. And their purpose is to get God right in our minds and in our hearts. They are here in scripture to mold and shape our thoughts and beliefs about God to correspond with reality so that those truths flow out of our fingertips as we live our daily lives. And with all that being said, let us look again to the first two verses of our psalm. In them, it says, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock in my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. And later in verse 7, it also says, On God rests my salvation. My glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is my God. One of the greatest themes of the Psalms is their proclamation that God is an unchanging, trustworthy refuge for his people. God is immutable. He is unmoving. He is stable, perfect in being and he is one who you can place your trust. Listen to these words throughout the Psalms. Let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Psalm 5. O Lord, in you do I take refuge. Psalm 7. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer. My God, my rock, in whom I will take refuge. Psalm 18. He is a shield for all of those who take refuge in him. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. Psalm 25. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is a saving refuge for his anointed. Psalm 28. 
In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Be a strong rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. Psalm 31. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you. At this point, some of you might be wondering if we're going through the whole book of Psalms. And we might. (laughs) But do not just let these words float past you. These are the very words of God. Instead, engage with them. Think deeply on them and feel them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. God is our refuge in strength, a very present help in trouble. I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning, for you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the days of my distress. Psalm 59. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. Psalm 61. Our text today, on God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. Psalm 91. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to trust in the Lord and take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. But my eyes are towards you, O God, my Lord, in whom I seek refuge. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield in whom I take refuge. Psalm 144. We just read 20 different instances where the Psalms uh, portray God as a trustworthy refuge, and we could have read about twice that number. You might almost think that the psalmists had something that filled their mind when they thought about God. It is clear that God has intended to reveal himself as a refuge. And if you add other synonyms such as rock and fortress and other words, you will find that the vast majority speak about God in this way. But why has God revealed himself as a refuge? God has revealed himself in this way as an unchanging, trustworthy refuge so that we, humanity, would come to him. That we would rest in him. This brings us to our second point from our text today, which is man's need for a trustworthy refuge. Man's need for a trustworthy refuge. God has made man in need of refuge so that we would look to the Lord to fulfill it. 
This need is not the result of the fall. It is not some psychological need that we have created in and of ourselves as some kind of coping mechanism. We need refuge because God has made us to seek refuge in him. It is no newsflash to anyone here that security is one of the greatest longings of the human heart. We know this intuitively because people need refuge. They will seek refuge automatically. And this is especially true in hard times, in times of uncertainty, in times when you do not know what tomorrow will hold. When dangers come, when relational strife arises, and when the world around around you seems to be crumbling down, these are the moments when we most strongly long for safety in a place of refuge. The truth is that we are small, frail, finite, needy beings that and all of this should move us toward God, who is the only unchanging, trustworthy refuge. Yet, in our sinful state, we are tempted to seek refuge in that which we perceive is closest to us. We grasp at things that are near, things that are seen, and things that are tangible. But this is not what we were made to pursue. As a church this summer, we've walked the words of the preacher in the book of Ecclesiastes. And in this book, we saw Solomon grapple with how to live wisely east of Eden, that is, in a post-fall world. We observed that all created things are incapable of bringing any kind of lasting joy, fulfillment, or meaning. Rather, we are Rather, we are to rightly think of God as a trustworthy refuge in which meaning, fulfillment, and joy pour out from. Those temporary things grow. And as we think rightly about God, we find that temporary things can be enjoyed, that they grow bright in the light of his glory and grace. When we think and view God rightly, as an unchanging, trustworthy refuge, things are set right. When we think and view God rightly, we can begin to see ourselves, our circumstances in this world rightly. And when we see God in creation rightly, reality itself becomes beautiful. But until we are confronted with this God who is... uh, and who we truly are apart from him, that beauty, that ability to rest in God as a trustworthy reality, as a trustworthy refuge, is a reality that you can only, you can work for and you can wish for, but you can never actually grasp. You see, all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, we read that our first parents, Adam and Eve, lived in an unbroken relationship with God. They knew the Lord as a refuge. They truly knew what it was like to live with God as their unchanging, trustworthy refuge. But upon the entrance of the serpent's twisted uh, story, we saw this man-centered story begin to win over Adam and Eve. 
and they began to think differently and think wrongly about God. The serpent had cleverly recast the characters in the story, and as a result, Adam and Eve acted from the thought that they did not need God as their refuge. And they took of the forbidden fruit and they sinned, breaking God's law. And each of us have acted in this exact same way. When we sin, we are acting out of high treason against Almighty God. We reject right thinking about God, commonly seeking refuge in some other creature or pleasure rather than the Creator, like Romans 1 says. But the worst consequence of our sin is that it separates you from the trustworthy refuge that you are made to rest in. Oh, to think that at one time this was the state of all of humanity, each one of us being lost, each one dead in our trespasses, but God. God, the unchanging one, sent his son to earth. Jesus walked on this planet. He lived in relationship with sinners. And he preached the good news of the gospel saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. This is what we needed to be restored uh, to our once severed relationship with God. It took God himself condescending from heaven to earth. It took his It took God taking on the body of man as he felt all the effects of the sin and curse with each and every step that he took. It took the second person of the Trinity being falsely tried and accused. Our restoration back to God took Jesus hanging on a cross and his bearing all of our sins is receiving the full measure of God's wrath against our iniquity and ultimately it required Jesus' death in our place. The prophet Isaiah describes this moment in chapter 53 when he says, Surely he has borne our griefs. And carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him the chastisement uh, that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned aside everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Yet as the true savior of the world, after being dead for three days, he was raised to life once more. He ascended to the right hand of the father and is calling all men everywhere to repent from your sin and find rest in the unchanging, trustworthy refuge that he is. Jesus is the greatest picture that we have of God as refuge for his people. And his words convey that same truth when he said, Come to me, all who labor 
and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. One of the most important aspects of a good refuge is that of stability. If you are searching for refuge, you should not look towards something that will not hold up against time or trials. And this points us back to our psalm. While we are while it is absolutely true that Psalm 62 is teaching that God is a trustworthy refuge, the psalmist takes it a step further as he highlights the exclusivity that God is a refuge. Verses 1 and 5 say, For God alone my soul waits. Verses 2 and 6 say, He only is my rock and my salvation. Out of all of the things that man could seek refuge in, the psalmist here asserts that none of them are a true refuge except the Lord God. When it comes down to it, God is the only trustworthy refuge that will not fail you. And it is upon him that we wait. We now come to our third point in this morning's sermon, which is the temptation of false refuges. The temptation of false refuges. When we find ourselves in the position of needing refuge and knowing our frame, this is a daily, ongoing reality of needing refuge. Our constant needing and seeking refuge. There are two very common places that we find ourselves seeking refuge other than God. This is not to say that these are the only two places that we could be tempted to look for refuge. And in fact, this might not even be the areas that you in particular are personally most tempted by. But we will be observing these particular two temptations today specifically because of their great tempting pull for so many of us and because they are the two here that David in this psalm specifically talks about. And so here they are. Firstly, the first temptation to find refuge in is the approval and the acceptance of other human beings. And secondly, the security and power of financial wealth. Finding refuge in the approval and acceptance of other human beings. We can be tempted to go there for our refuge. And the security and power of financial wealth. We can be tempted to go there for our refuge. These two things, these are the two things that Psalm 62 is presenting to us today as tempting but false refuges. So let's look at the first Look first at the temptation of the approval and the acceptance of other human beings. What did this look like in the life of David? Rather early in the life of David, uh, David was thrust into the center of Jewish life and culture. After his defeat of Goliath as a lowly shepherd boy, there came many accolades Many new relationships with people of influence and songs were even written and sung about him in the public square. You could say that David became a household name. And in the midst of all of this, 
David would have known the temptation of finding some kind of security in other people's approval and acceptance of him. But how quickly all of those opinions would change. Very quickly, God would sovereignly change David's life circumstances. I'm sure with many of the people's opinions of him. This began with King Saul. Saul drew drew jealous of all the attention that David was getting. The loyalty of the royal courts and Saul's own family became sharply divided, with some siding with David and the others with Saul. And David became the object of people's remarkably strong loyalty and other people's remarkably strong wrath. And we often see this set of circumstances played out in the Psalms. Just look at the next psalm, Psalm 63, where in the title it says that it's a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness in Judah. He's running for his life with the change of people's opinions. But this was not just any wilderness getaway. David was running for his life. We see the same circumstances written about in verses 3 and 4 of our psalm. They say, how long will you attack a man to batter him? Like a a leaning wall, a tottering fence. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehoods. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. David is in a position of weariness. David feels the physical and existential oppression coming from those who are seeking to end his life. It is here that David is keenly aware of his own need for refuge. Put yourself in David's shoes for a moment, in a cave, in the wilderness. He is experiencing not only overt verbal and physical persecution from his enemies, but he would also be experiencing the, de- the deceitful opposition as well. Those who would talk well of him to his face and then hate him behind his back. People who, uh, and how would David feel if he sought for people's approval and acceptance as the place where he could find refuge in this moment? How would you feel if other people's approval and acceptance was the place where you sought refuge? Maybe you do know what that is like. And friend, please let this truth sink deeply into your heart and mind, if that is you, that people do not possess what is needed for your soul. Verse 9 says that those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. Other people do not possess the unchanging nature that is needed to be a good refuge. Their opinions and their acceptance have no lasting strength uh, or permanence about them. Other people are bad refuges. They will not suffice to meet the need that only God can fill. But how should this truth impact us and to look towards? Parents, how should this inform your parenting? 
Husbands and wives, how should this inform your marriage? How should this inform all of our friendships with one another? Are we not to be some form of refuge to those who God has placed in our care? Are we not supposed to be trustworthy with our own lives? And absolutely we are. But when parents and spouses and friends are godly, they should be directing the soul which they are caring for towards God and encouraging them to trust in the only absolute trustworthy refuge. Consider the example of Jonathan in 1 Samuel 23. In this chapter, we see David out in the wilderness, and it says that Jonathan went to David and he helped him find his strength in God. That is the kind of friend that we should be, that we should want and surround ourselves with. So Christian, think of the moments when your brother or sister, your husband or your wife, your parent or your child is in need of refuge. Think of your responsibility to care for that weakened soul. It is in moments like that which you can come to them not superficially, not self-righteously, but humbly and lovingly direct their soul towards God in whom they can find true refuge. Your presence in such a time is a part of God's plan, but you must remember that your friendship in that moment is just a means. It is a means to the most glorious end that they could receive, the unchanging, trustworthy refuge that God himself is. But friend, also be aware of your own temptation to look to others as a refuge. Remember that ultimately people do not have what your soul is longing for. And seek to direct your own soul toward the only true refuge in the Lord. That you might find rest there in him. The second place in Psalm 62 that we are tempted to seek refuge is the power and security of financial wealth. What did this look like for David? After the account of David's conflict with Saul has concluded, David would eventually be crowned king. And in this position, David would enjoy great privilege and wealth. There may have been moments that David experienced that in his early life, but as he became a king, it became his life. A life marked by the enjoyment of riches. This makes what David says in verse 10 of our psalm rather interesting. He says, Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. This verse is particularly interesting because the reference to increased riches is not speaking of the result of the extortion or robbery that is already mentioned in the first half of the verse. The word used to speak of the increase of riches is a Hebrew word that is used to describe uh, faithful fruitfulness. 
But by lumping both of these images together here, David is functionally saying that our placing trust in the power and security of financial possessions are equally perilous. It doesn't matter if you steal the money or if you build it yourself. If you trust in it, you are moving in the wrong direction. It is not the increase of riches that is wrong, but it is the setting of your heart upon it that is wrong. Friends, we must not look toward wealth as a place of refuge. It is a terrible refuge. But again, what is this supposed to do for us today? After all, aren't we to work hard and earn money to provide for today and to save for the future? Well, of course we are. The book of Proverbs is rather clear about that. But here David is warning us about the temptation that we are prone towards. The slipping over the line from viewing money as a a tool and instead viewing money as a refuge. Even if your money is gained in an honest and hardworking manner, remember that it does not possess what your soul needs to take refuge in. So what should we do when we are tempted to take refuge in the power and security of financial wealth? It has been said that we ought to remember three things. Firstly, your ability to work and to gain wealth in the first place is a gift from God. Secondly, we ought to remember that all things are God's anyway and that we are just a steward of that which he has given. And thirdly, and most pertinent to our text today, is that we should remember that wealth is a terrible refuge. When we look toward wealth as a refuge that will satisfy us, the results are actually quite the opposite. As Paul says, the love of money is the root of all evil. Wealth does not only lack what our souls need, but it actually eats away at our souls as we rot from the inside. So is it wrong to have a savings account with money in it? No. Is it wrong to have as much as you have or to have as much as you want to have in it? Maybe. Is it wrong to be thinking about money in the way that you are thinking? Maybe. But regardless of where you stand in regards to your thoughts about financial wealth, heed the words of God when he says, set not your heart on it. So in the view of these tempting false refuges, what is the alternative? Verse 5 and following again says, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock My refuge is God. God only is my rock. God is my salvation. God is my fortress. God is my mighty rock. My refuge is God. It is upon the Lord, the unchanging, trustworthy refuge that the psalmist is waiting. And as Christians, the position of waiting upon the Lord is the ever position of ongoing faith. 
faith for the Christian simply is hope and expectation elongated. God is our trustworthy refuge. So let us again ask the question, why should we trust God alone as our refuge? David answers this question, stating that God possesses something which no one and no thing possesses. And it is this which makes him a trustworthy refuge. Look at verses 11 and 12 with me. Once God has spoken and twice I have heard this. This is a Hebrew way to put emphasis on this point. That power belongs to God. And that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. That power belongs to God. People can possess power, which makes them a tempting alternative. Money can bring about power, which makes it a tempting alternative. But when compared to God's eternal power that is seen in the things that have been made, and he who upholds the universe by the word of his power, and who showed the surpassing greatness of his power when he raised Christ from the dead, and who has promised us also we, that we will be raised by his power, bringing you into the safety of his eternal kingdom, all other false refuges pale. This is the power, this is power that belongs to God alone. But it is this kind of power that is required to be a refuge for the human soul. But it gets even better. (laughs) Did you see what else belongs to God? Verse 12 says again that to to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. This is the kind of love that is a refuge-like love. If we were to on the on the day and if Lena, excuse me, this is kind of refuge-like love. If we were to try to unpack this characteristic of God from the scriptures, we would certainly be here for the rest of the day and well into our weeks. This is the most celebrated attribute of God in all of scripture. His steadfast love, his hesed. It belongs to God alone and is required in order to be a trustworthy refuge for the human soul. If God only possessed one of these attributes, however, say power without steadfast love, he could look upon us in the plight of our sin and say, that's nice, but why should I care? Or if God had only steadfast love and no power, he could say, I really want to do something, but my my hands are kind of tied. But it is the combination of these two attributes of God which make him an excellent refuge for us. So if you are here today and you see God rightly, you see him as the only one who possesses both power and steadfast love, you will want to run into his arms as the unchanging God that he is. And so I want to conclude today with my proposition and some last remarks. Our proposition from this text is this. Direct your heart to God. 
who is the only trustworthy refuge. Direct your heart to God, who is the only trustworthy refuge. This theme of God being a trustworthy refuge is a theme that Jesus himself personally carries into the New Testament. Jesus, in his perfect life, in his substitutionary death, and in his resurrection from the dead, is God as refuge extended to his people. And when you place your trust in Christ, repenting of your sin, and looking to Jesus alone as as your only hope of righteousness, you will experience God as refuge. So how shall we respond to all of this? If you are here and you have realized that you have sought refuge for your soul in anything other than God, I want to encourage you that you do not need to continue striving to find that rest. The invitation is clear. Turn from your sins and come to Jesus and find refuge in him. If you are here as a a believer who knows that you are tempted away from God and toward putting your trust in trifles, other refuges that aren't the Lord, remember that Jesus bore every last one of your sins. And you can come and be free from them all. You can be free from all of the guilt and be welcomed back into the arms of our God who is your mighty refuge. Rest in him. And I want to encourage those of you who are here who are feeling particularly weak and needy. Those who are hurt and in the arms of despair. Know that God stands ready to welcome you home today. He is ready to protect you with the awesome power and care you with his most tender love. And so... Wherever you are and whatever you feel, you you can come and be welcomed to our refuge, Jesus. Church, we sing because we serve a great God. No matter the circumstances or trials, no matter the temptations or failings, God is an unchanging, trustworthy refuge for his people. And so may God's words be the final words from today. From verse 8, it says, Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your revealing yourself as our refuge. We thank you that you have not left us to our own devices and sins, but that you have given us a place to rest our souls. Jesus, we thank you for your perfect life, death, and resurrection, and the incarnate extension of yourself as a refuge in that way. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for your indwelling presence that continually reminds us of these truths. We pray that you would continue to convict us when we try to place our trust in anything other than yourself. And that you would also grow in each of us a delight to place our trust more deeply in you.
Lord, we pray all of this that you might receive great glory and that it would work according to your promise for our good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.